0: Flowcast. I am your host, Jeremiah Washington. We're sharing stories about people changing lives in hopeful ways for the life of the world. A ministry of Dominican Sisters of Springfield, Illinois, recorded live at Sacred Heart Convent. Today, I'm here with Sister Marilyn Jean Runkle, and we're going to be discussing her 60 years of being a Dominican sister. We're going to be discussing leadership. We're going to be talking about just a lot of things that shaped her life and how the stories we'll be mentioning today can help you in your own life and even guide you to somewhere you didn't know you can go or some you may have interest in. Something I was really curious to ask you, because
1: you're from Springfield, what was it like growing up in Springfield for you? Well, It was wonderful. I grew up in the south part of Springfield in Southern View. It's called Southern View, right before you get out of town, really. I lived um, in a small neighborhood, two-block neighborhood. There were other neighborhoods around, but in that block were my friends. I went to school. I started school at Cathedral in first grade. I didn't want to go to school. I cried every day. (laughs) Sometimes they had to even come down and get me out of the car that was bringing me and take me up into the church. But my dad said once I got finished crying, I stayed in school the rest of my life because I'm still in school. School. Okay, I'm still teaching school. I went to Cathedral just one year because Little Flower was being built during that time. So in second grade, I went to Little Flower School. And that was really a wonderful experience. It was just beginning. There was only K to three, those grades. And believe it or not, the school wasn't built yet. So we went to school in the church. The kindergarten was in the vestibule. The first and second grade was in the church. We sat on the kneelers and used the pews for our desks. And then the third grade was back in the sacristy. So we kind of all knew each other, you know. Yeah. Even when I graduated from eighth grade, there were only 17 in our class, 10 girls and seven boys. And actually, I saw a picture of them a couple of weeks ago that was in a thing uh, from Little Flower. And I could name every one of them except one. There was one boy. I could not I couldn't remember who he was. I just loved growing up. My best friend was an athlete. She was good at every athletic thing ever, even football. I wasn't good at any of it, (laughs) but they always wanted me to play because I had a nice bat and a ball and all that kind of stuff. you know. So we played baseball. We played football. We played basketball, all of those things. And um, I never really learned to play them, but I enjoyed them. We were the only two girls in the neighborhood. Well, there was one other girl, but she moved. All the rest were boys. So we played all boys games, you know, road bikes. We loved to ride bikes, road bikes all the way from where I lived out to the Lake Springfield, which is quite a ways. It would be all the way out Second Street, which is all paved now. But then it was just a rock road. Most of my activities when I was uh, in grade school and high school were were really centered around my church and my school. All my friends were from there. I've always loved Springfield.
0: Earlier you said you didn't like school as much Mm -hmm. and they would sometimes even have to drag you to school.
1: You want to know why I didn't like it? Why? Well, I I figured it out when I was older. Every day when we went down to the lunchroom, there was an eighth grade monitor and they would make us eat everything in our lunch bucket. Okay, we didn't have lunch, you know, hot lunch or anything. And I would get sick. And and (laughs) when I was in high school, when my friend said, she remembered when when they got milk uh, at, at noon, like in the middle of the morning, they gave you milk in those days, you know, I always got seven up because of my stomach. I was so frightened of having to have that experience every day and having to eat that I would get sick and then I was afraid to go to school. However, my mother never let me stay home. She never came and got me. If I got sick, she brought clean clothes and I stayed in school and I got over it probably maybe four or five months into school. I got over the being afraid of it.
0: So, how did you know becoming a sister was something that you wanted to do? Uh, When did you decide that?
1: Well, my final decision, of course, was when I was in high school. And I, I remember being on a retreat. You know, we made a retreat every year. <laughs> I went up to buy some materials that were on sale for the retreat. And on the bottom of my pile, I had, it was a little pamphlet that said, should I be a sister? And when I went up, to the, would you believe one of the sisters waited on me? And she looked at it and she said, absolutely, I'll see you at two o'clock in such and such. a <laughs> So, but I knew before that, that I wanted to. I, th- I think I first started wanting to be a sister in first grade. I was fascinated by the sisters. I, I felt safe with them. I felt well-educated by them. At Little Flower, I interacted with them. I admired them. And I wanted to be a teacher. I knew for a long time. So the two kind of went together. I wanted to be a teacher and I wanted to be a sister. And the only kind of sisters I ever knew were the Dominicans. I had them in grade school and high school. So the sisters were like role models for you Absolutely, up. absolutely role models. Yes, yes, yes. And actually, some of those people that I had in those years, I actually lived with here. Sister Pauletta was my principal then. Uh, Sister Anne Regina was my teacher in uh, Sacred Heart Academy. I think maybe Sister Anne Regina is the only one still living that I actually had. But I could name them all. I won't take time to do that. <laughs> but I could go through all the grades because they meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. So when did you start teaching? I started teaching. I started teaching in Aurora, Illinois. That was my first assignment. And uh, it was fifth grade. And I think there were probably about 30, 35 in the the, uh, class. I didn't realize how lucky I was because when we got to Aurora, the school was being built and they weren't finished with it yet. So we didn't start till the middle of September. Well, being a first year teacher, I didn't realize what a thrill that was. I still remember some of the students in those classes in that fifth grade. It was just, they're very clear in my mind. I was there for three years. And then I was transferred to Mendota, Illinois which is near LaSalle, Peru. I was there for eight years. Not only did I teach school, but for the first 20, 25 years of my life, I also taught piano lessons and had choirs, both adult and children choirs. That was a big part of my life too. After Mendota, I was sent to New Berlin, which is down the street, <laughs> practically, you know. Then Springfield, then Duluth, Minnesota. Then back to Springfield, St. Agnes. After St. Agnes, to the diocese. After the diocese, Sacred Heart Griffin. After St. Carhart Griffin Benedictine. That's my teaching career. And
0: what places were you a sister when you was teaching in all of them?
1: I was a sister in all of them. Yes, yes, yes. In fact, I was probably only 20 years old when I first started teaching. The students I was teaching were only 10 years younger than I was. They wouldn't have known that though. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. See, in those days, we were mentored. We had a few classes, you know, we had some classes, probably a couple of years of college before we started out. But we were mentored significantly by another very, experienced teacher. My first mentor was my second grade teacher. Would you believe that? It was it was just a wonderful experience, yeah. It was like you were a student teacher, but you were being constantly mentored by this person. Teaching, it just came naturally to me. You know, some people have to really work on it. They have to learn how to be able to have discipline in a classroom. It was a gift to me. That's what I was supposed to do. Never had problems teaching. They probably thought I was a little, I know some kids thought I was strict, yeah. I mean, I was pretty strict. I This is what they were here for, you know. But I always admired them and respected them. One time, when I was at St. Agnes, a young man came to see me that I had had over at St. Cabrini's, which is across town. And I said to him, well, Brian, what do you remember about St. Cabrini's? He was growing and married by then. He said, sister, you were strict, but we knew you loved us. Now, what better thing could you say, huh? That's always stuck in my heart.
0: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. You spoke a lot about teaching, mm-hmm. but I also know you were a principal.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So how many years were you a principal and what type of principal
1: do you think you were? Probably the same as kind of principal as I was a teacher high expectations, but also I really cared about students. I was, I'm trying to think, I think I was an administration about 19 years. I remember when I was a principal, my first principalship was New Berlin. And those were the, the title one and all those kind of remedial programs and special ed were just becoming current. You know, we didn't have them before that. And I remember that I became, as a principal, I was very interested that every student would be able to learn at the level you oh. they could learn. And I always was very involved in making sure that they got tested if they needed help. And I was always so very anxious to see that if they they needed to be in some type of advanced work that we uh, encouraged them and, you know, uh, challenged them. That's the kind of principal I was. I always wanted the best for the students, but I know they knew that I meant business. (laughs) One, One little guy, he was only in first grade when I was in Duluth. And this is, again, I've never forgotten it. He went home and told his dad hey dad you don't mess around with Sister Jean." I had never even met the little guy (laughs) I don't know where he heard that but I guess he knew you know if you were going to be here you had expectations and you'd be supposed to do what you're supposed to do
0: so what came first for you your interest in Catholic education or your decision to become a Dominican sister. I know you said earlier that you knew you wanted to become a Dominican sister. Mm-hmm. But wh- which one of those passions came first?
1: You know, I don't think I could even tell you. I think they were so in- intertwined. Well, like as a little kid, we played school, you know, and... One was the teacher and some were the kids. And um, I just knew that I wanted to be a teacher. And the sisters had such an impact on me, on my life. I think about it this, you know, God calls you. You don't really choose it. God chooses, God calls you to a vocation. And I think early on, God had his message to me that this is what you're supposed to do. How did Catholic education become your passion? You got some Uh, stories? Yeah, I've got uh, lots of stories about that. Well, I always went to Catholic school. That was the only kind of education I was even exposed to. My faith was very strong in my life. My parents, we always went to church. They were very active in the parish. They respected my education. They saw to it that I was able to go to a Catholic high school. That meant tuition. You know, it, it wasn't just free, like going to any other school. And I just think my faith has always been a strong part of anything I did. Teaching in a Catholic school is, is teaching subjects, but it's also uh, faith-based. And it's giving other people, students, no matter what age they are, an opportunity to know something about God and to know something about what's more important than life, maybe than just success, Talk about the transition from your work in Catholic education Mm -hmm.
0: to your decision to study organizational management.
1: Okay. What is organizational management and why
0: does it really matter?
1: Well, organizational management is um, really a degree in how to be a good leader, how to lead an organization, how to lead a group, how to be be involved in teamwork, how to be able to facilitate planning and, and growth in an organization and so. Organizational development can be used in almost any field. It could be in education. It could be in finance. It could be in science. It could be the skills of organizational development are really leadership skills. One of my jobs that I had after I was a principal was to be superintendent of schools for the Springfield Diocese. That job involved helping principals, you know, going around to the different schools and trying to answer their questions, doing research for them, getting professional development for them, everything. So it began to occur... In my thinking process, maybe I could teach this at, at a university level. And then I knew in order to teach at a university level, you had to go on and get an advanced degree, PhD. So I kept this kind of in the back of my mind. And finally, I asked the community if that would be a possibility. And they said Yes. And then I had to decide what I was going to study. Well, I didn't want to get a PhD in education, just education, because I had done that for so many years. I had been on a planning committee once, and this person who who, um, facilitated the planning was just marvelous. She was so skilled in it. So when I got the permission that I could do this study, I tracked her down. She was a sister from St. Louis, not a Dominican, uh, another order. And I said, where did you get your training? And she said, Pepperdine. Well, that's out in California. And I thought, well... I won't be going to Pepperdine. She said, but one of the best places in the country is in Illinois. And she said, Benedictine in Lyle. So I called up Benedictine and I was able to get into their program. And that has been a key part of my life, how I teach, how I interact, what I believe ever since then. I I think I got that. I was in 2005 that I finished that degree, but I started studying that in 1998. I first got a master's and then I got the PhD. I would have gone right into the PhD, but the cohort was closed when I applied and they only took one every two years. But that was a blessing, too, because I got the foundation of all of it in getting the master's first.
0: You talked about, you know, being a leader is a big Mm -hmm. thing you need for that. Mm. One of the questions I really want to ask you for the podcast is what do you think it is throughout your life that shaped you to be such a good leader? Because a lot of things you do even to this day, you uh, have to have some leadership skills in there. So what do you think really made you a good leader just coming up in the world?
1: The first thing that comes to my mind is mentors. Mentors. People who I admired. My principal also grade school a sister Pauletta. I admired her to the nth degree the way she empowered us, the way she enabled us to be leaders in the school, you know, the eighth grade. And she was principal and teacher, full-time teacher. So she really had her hands full. So she delegated a lot of stuff to us. I would say she was probably the first uh, professional leader that I had, but I think another leader that really was my inspiration was my dad. My dad wasn't a big professional man. My dad was a coal miner for most of his years. But he was always in, he was in management, he was in leadership. And I knew how he talked about his job and how he felt strongly about doing it well. And he cared for the people that worked with him. I think all of those things were kind of things that just, they became part of my DNA, you might say, you know. I also think, again, God gives us certain gifts. And from the time I was in grade school, I had some gifts of leadership. I was the president of my class in eighth grade, you know. And another thing that I remember that was a good leadership skill, we had cheerleaders in eighth grade. In seventh and eighth grade, we were cheerleaders. There were seventh grade cheerleaders and eighth grade cheerleaders. And when I was in eighth grade and we were trying out, you know, for the... I said to them, why do we have to just have a few people be cheerleaders? Why can't everybody that wants to be, be a cheerleader? And we did it, okay? Now remember, it was a small school, so we didn't have 40 cheerleaders, but I think we had about 16, you know, and when we'd come on the floor at the basketball, they thought we were insane, you know? When I was assigned to be a principal, it shocked me to death. I had no idea. I never thought I'd be a principal. I was teaching in in Mendota. By then I I was teaching seventh and eighth grade and we got these little assignments that said, this is what you're gonna do next year, you know? And it said, principal, seventh and eighth grade, (laughs) the music, all the music in the parish, you know? So I was sent to do that. And it was like, oh my gosh, I can, I'm gonna do this. But again, I had had mentors. I had had wonderful principals that I taught for, you know? So it was like, okay. I can I can use those skills. I can develop those skills. Again, I think God gives you gifts and when you get challenged to use them, <laughs> you need to use them. Being a leader is not easy. You are not always the most popular person in the world (laughs) when you're the leader. Okay. And part of being a leader is being able to get that balance of you're here to help. You're here to empower that we can all do it. It's not it's not what the leader does that gets all the credit. It shouldn't be. It's what the we do that gets the credit. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly.
0: Why are you still here 60 years later? That is a huge commitment. What kept you here? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> God's grace kept me here. God's call kept me here. Now, has it always been easy? No. When I came to begin with, yes, there was that mm, admiration of the sisters, you know, really the admiration of what they did, wanting to be a teacher. But as you move on, if you don't really integrate the values of what it means to be a Dominican, which is to be very committed to truth, to be committed to prayer, community, study, preaching, okay? And we say we preach from the pulpit of our life. We don't necessarily preach from a church pulpit, but because preaching is integral to being a Dominican, preaching the truth, I think that's kept me here. I've been put in situations where I could preach from the pulpit of my life. And it was important to to deliver that message. For instance, to deliver the message to to kids that you can learn, you can study, you can get it. (laughs) You know, you can be successful. You don't have to be number one in the class, but you can be in the class and you can get, it done. I think that's what's kept me here. Has it ever been hard? Oh gosh yes it's been hard. I have never thought I should leave though. I have always thought even in the hardships and believe me I could tell you about some big ones but I won't. <laughs> it was like you stay. This is where God wants you.
0: <laughs> Let's take a break for a minute and let Myra who's in archives tell you about a new project that she's been working on. I recently
1: created a story map. Um, It's basically uh, telling the story of the first 20 years of the congregation. I got this idea from the Grand Rapids Dominicans and Hope Dominicans who's also done their own story map. My main thing was also just to have these things in the archive be accessible and so we'll get like a lot of old pictures of buildings or pictures of sisters together that we hadn't seen so that's always a joy to get that out there to people one of the things that I like in the story map is the map that you have of that journey I really try to relegate it to their journey and how these steps took them to certain places even certain missions you know that they had to take on so they could expand their reach
0: go to springfieldop.org and visit the our story section to see Myra's story map the journey to Springfield that's springfieldop.org
1: Can you talk a bit about prayer? How does it shape your life? Prayer is everything in our life. It's the foundation. When you're a little kid, I think you pray the Hail Mary and the Our Father and the memorized prayers. As you grow older, you realize that probably one of the greatest prayers is Eucharist, the Mass. We are privileged to be able to have Mass every single day, which is Eucharist really means Thanksgiving. We are there to be thankful to God every day, to be thankful for what God has done for us in our lives. But then the other kind of prayer is that. I think you move into as you mature, and you don't have to mature in religious life. You can mature in any life to do this. My prayer is is centered around scripture. Usually, every day, I hope to, I try to do it the first thing. I use the scripture of the day that's going to that we are going to have at mass, and I try to let that soak in. and What is what is the spirit? What is God speaking to you in these words of scripture? I think um, it's not so much just asking God for stuff when you pray. It's uh, as you mature in prayer, it's trying to be aware of God's presence in your life and God's presence in in everything that you do. Now, that doesn't mean that's always in your mind. I mean, there are times when it's, (laughs) we say, oh, brother, what's this all about? You know? A prayer is of, of the essence of who we are, I think. We pray the office every day. That's based on scripture. We're at Mass. And of course, Mass, uh, the Eucharist is is the essence of what Mass is about. We pray for others. One of the things that I really value is that we have this prayer list, the Springfield Dominican prayer list. And people contact me a lot and say, "Will you put my intention on the prayer list. Even students that I've had that I haven't seen them for a couple of years, they might connect me and say, this is going on. So I think prayer is not just what we do for ourselves, but prayer is what we can offer for others. And of course, it's asking God to be present in whatever situation it happens to be. It's not always easy to pray. Sometimes you might rather watch TV or use your um, iPhone or (laughs) do something else, you know, but you have to discipline yourself to pray. You do have to discipline yourself, but it's worth it.
0: That's so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is very true. Visit SpringfieldOP.org. That's SpringfieldOP like order of org, and click on the listen, see, respond button to take a three day virtual retreat. Of many of your experiences you had in your religious life, what has been most fulfilling for you? There's several ways I could
1: answer that question. I think if I say generally what has been most fulfilling is to be part of a community, to be part of the Springfield Dominican community, Everything that I have, I have because the community has enabled me to have it. I mean, they've given me my education. They've given me my formation. They've given me the care that I have for anything that I need, the privilege of being part of that community. Now, is it always easy to be part of that community? No, it's just like any other family. You know, families are families. Sometimes you agree. Sometimes you disagree. Sometimes you have different ideas. But when I stop and think about it, that's probably the most fulfilling thing is to have the privilege of being part of community. If you were going to give a young person advice
0: about how they decide their path in life and a route they should take, what would? how would you do that? How would you help them?
1: Well, I'd tell them to certainly to pray, to ask God to give them guidance, wisdom, to discern. And by discern, I mean, try to find out what it really is that's going to be best for you. I know in, in teaching at the university level, a lot of times students come in and they'll, they're, this is what they think they're going to major in. And they're there for a while and they found out, no, that's not it. I Need to do something different, to be open to what might come along in their path. The other thing I would say is to find mentors, find wise people that you can talk to, that you can be real honest with and hear the pros and cons and, and have somebody that's not going to just tell you you're wonderful, that somebody's going to tell you how to be better, what are the things you might want to do differently and uh, be open to what comes along. And I think another thing is we don't want to always be stuck in the same thing forever and ever, especially in today's world. There are new opportunities. And is this a new opportunity I should take? Well, you don't just jump into it and drop everything else. It's that discernment. It's that thinking. It's that getting the wise thoughts of others and praying about it. I like how
0: you said uh, about someone that's not going to just tell you you're wonderful. Honesty plays a big part in, you know, having mentors that will really help you get to where you need to be. Has it ever been a time where you had to be really? really honest with someone and you didn't know how they would take it. Oh,
1: yes. Yes. Especially, especially when you're in a leadership position and you know that something has to be altered or, you know, you have to be brave. You have to be courageous, but you also have to be kind. Let's say for something in the school situation, you know, it had to be better for the students if we did it this way. Better for all of us as faculty, if we did it this way. And even in living on a floor, You know, we all live on floor. There are 11 of us on the floor. Well, sometimes you have to have a conversation about what's happening. This might not be the best thing for all of us. We did that just the other day. It was kind of interesting. I wasn't the one that brought it up, but I I was glad the person who did brought it up because you have to have the courage. See, it's the honesty thing that you said. It has to be not because it's because I want it, just because I want it, because I think my way is the best way. That's what I have to really be careful of, not just doing things my way. But what is the better way for all of us?
0: So 60 years you've been a sister. 60. 60 years, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're still working mm-hmm. to this day. You work at Benedictine. Mm-hmm. And you're also on the board of Mercy Community. Uh, community. Mm-hmm. You're in the anti-racism program. Yes. And it's,
1: it's many more. What are those again? <laughs> well, I'm on about three or four boards, Marian Catholic, uh, Faith Coalition here in town. Uh, Mercy, as you said, as of anti-racism. Also, there's a statewide thing of Gamalio which is really connected to Faith Coalition. And some people say to me, what, in the, you know, why are you doing all those things? Well, you know, the organizational development thing, that is a sort of a key to why I'm part of those things. I, I enjoy planning things. I enjoy being part of moving towards something, helping a situation. Most of the boards I'm on, like Mercy, is very connected to justice. It's for single mothers with children who need big assistance. Faith Coalition tries to find people who need to learn how to use their voice and their own self-interest to be able to make a better world. So I think the the organizational development background and in my whole being is what keeps me wanting to be part of. I give board workshops also, you know, to not for profits and so on, so that to learn how to do that kind of leading better. It's all part of me. Yeah. Yeah, that's big. Well, I was so glad you joined the anti racism thing too. Oh yeah, oh, yes. Yeah. And you were so the first day you just jumped right in and were part of it. That's yeah. wonderful.
0: This place has taught me a lot. Well see mentors.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was just gonna use that word. Yeah. That's how mentoring that's how mentoring works. It does. It mm-hmm. does. Mhm. And it's not always easy. There's hard times and things that you have to do, you know, maybe you didn't want to do and that kind of thing. But it's when you put your whole self into it.
0: That's true. That's very true. I've been knowing Sister Marilyn Jean pretty much since... I started at the convent, Uh, you came up to me, you greeted me by my name and everything and you told me, uh, you was wondering what was it I did outside of work. Oh, okay. And I just was like, I go to school, I like to play basketball, and you wondered, okay, so what's plans after school? And I told you I wanted to be a social worker, because at the time I was into like, I just wanted to help people, that's all I really knew. And I knew that social workers did that. So then I came back to you Mm -hmm. and I said, you know how I told you I wanted to be a social worker? You said, Yeah, I remember and I said, Well now I want to be a psychologist. I wanna I wanna do therapy, you know, and, and study psychology. They make more. And you told me <laughs> it's not about what makes more. It's about you know, what you what you like more and but you should give both a chance to see, you know. Bless your and, heart. Yeah, you were kind of a mentor to me in a way, just from your response to my reaction to what I tell you mm-hmm. and you would always just want the best for me.
1: Well, you know, You said I spoke to you. It's always very important to me when new people come here to work or to be part of us to help make them feel at home. Because a lot of times people are very hesitant. Oh, I'm going to work for the nuns. You know, what's it like to work for the nuns? What are they like? But you and I just kind of struck up a, a connection. And what I remember about you is you knew my name from day one. And you called me by name every time you see me, you know. There's something, there's a energy there. Yeah. And I thank you for sharing those things with me. Because you know what you said to me affirms what I say is what I'm called to. That's
0: true. Mm-hmm. You're good at it. You're great at it.
1: <laughs> I don't know about that, but I, I thank you. I thank you for sharing that. And I'm still interested in you.
0: I appreciate it. I'm
1: still interested in how you're going to do with your schooling. Yeah. And remember, I even told you if you ever needed any help. I'll come straight to you. Yeah. I'd be glad to help you out as a teacher, not as a doing it for you, but as a, you know. <laughs> I wish you could do it for me. <laughs> yeah, I can't do it for you. Uh, but I can mentor you.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. This was a wonderful podcast. I'm so glad to have you on Flowcast with us. You're a great person to have on here. You taught us something about leadership. And that's something that uh, our audience should really appreciate because who doesn't need that in their life every now and then?
1: Could I say something about that? Yeah. I, I felt honored that you asked me to do this because... You are a unique and great person, Jeremiah. Ever since you've come here, I've admired you. And I pray that you keep doing for yourself just what you're asking about. You can be a leader. You can make your life be what you want it to be if you put everything into it. And keep God in your life, you know. We're lucky to have you. We're lucky to have you.
0: I appreciate it. I'm thankful. (laughs) That means a lot to me. Yeah. feeling is mutual, you know. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Flowcast. Join us next week to hear more stories about people changing lives in hopeful ways for the life of the world.